Welcome to another episode of Fabrengin On Air, Fabrengin On The Sicha. Today, we're going to be talking about Bell's pomegranates and public menorah lightings. We're also going to address a question that was asked to the Baal Shem Tev, why Hasidim sway back and forth during davening. Today, we have a very special guest from Seattle, Washington, Rabbi Shmuley Levitin, who runs CYP Seattle, as well as Chabad of downtown. He also has a weekly Lakote Sichas class in the Amazon headquarters in downtown Seattle. So, Rabbi Shmuley, welcome to the show. It's glad to have you on. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's beautiful to be on this program. Um, so, yeah, like Rabbi Yossi uh, just mentioned, uh, I am uh, Chabad of downtown and Chabadian professionals of Seattle. Um, and um, we do have a weekly um, lunch and learn at Amazon. Obviously, the last couple of years during COVID, um, Amazon, actually, their offices are still closed. Um, it was supposed to be open, reopened in uh, this month, actually, last month in January, but because of Omnicron, it was pushed, up, pushed off even more. But for years, I had an ongoing uh, uh, lunch and learn there. I still actually do it on Zoom now. And the, most of the lunch and learns were actually the Rebbe's uh, uh, talks, the Rebbe's Sichas. It was very powerful. And like I would tell the guys all the time that um, to learn the Rebbe's Torah in the heart of, of you know, corporate, corporate America, literally the most, uh, one of the most progressive companies in the world was just an unbelievable thing. So uh, it was very, very powerful and very uh, uh, illuminating for everybody that came. So it was great. Amazing. So I want to jump straight into this Sicha. The Sicha is a very powerful Sicha. And um, if you could give us a little background as to how the Sicha starts off with the, the robe of the Kohen Gadol, the robe of the high priest, um, and as well as, according to Rashi and Ramban, how they learn the hem of the robe. So yeah, so there's a verse actually in this uh, week's Torah portion, Parshish Tetzava, and it talks about the various garments, unique garments of the high priest. You know that a typical priest, a typical Kohen had four garments, and the high priest was unique that he had eight garments. So he had four additional garments. And one of those garments we're going to talk about uh, today in this, this talk of the Rebbe is like, it's, it's called a me'il. It's considered like a cloak, um, loosely translated into a cloak. It was, it, was a, it was a garment that would cover, kind of go around the neck and go all the way down to the bottom of the legs of the cone gadol. And the on, the, on the bottom of that cloak, um, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the Torah tells us, that you shall make pomegranates of tchelis on its hem, all around the hem with bells of gold between them all around. So the bottom of this long tunic, this me'il, it talks that the verse literally says, God commands us to make on the bottom of that garment, um, uh, kind of like pomegranates of tchelis wool and, and with, with, with bells, with bells going all around. Now there's a debate between Rashi and the Ramban how exactly this worked. Rashi is of the opinion that when it says all around the hem with bells of gold between them, that means you had pomegranates and then bells, pomegranates and then bells. Rashi literally translates that there were two items. There was the pomegranates, hollow pomegranates on the bottom of the tunic, the bottom of the male. And in between each pomegranate, two pomegranates, there was a belt. So there were two independent items. You had the pomegranates, the belt, pomegranates, bells that were on the bottom of this tunic. The Ramban argues on Rashi, and he is of the opinion that actually the bell was inside of the pomegranate. And when the Torah says in, 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 uh, in between them, all around the, with bells of gold between them, he literally is the bell, the bell of the gold was, was in the pomegranate. Was, they were the same item. That's kind of the... Uh, external version of the debate. That's what they're debating about. How did this work? And, and that's the debate. So, so what was the function of these bells? Um, why were they placed on the bottom? What, what, what did they serve? So the verse continues, actually. It says that, that the reason the bells were there is that they sh their voice should be heard or their, their noise should be heard when the Kongadal came into the, the, the sanctuary. The sanctuary, the Kodesh, the holy part of the temple where he did most of his service. So whenever he was moving around, you have these bells on the bottom of the garment, they would cling. And the verse literally tells us that we're supposed to make these bells on the bottom of the garden, so uh, of the garment, so you will hear the Kohen Gadol coming. 
And, and because of that, he will not die. So it seems like it's a very fundamental thing. In other words, if you're missing, if you're missing this part of the garment, it's so severe that it, it could almost be um, mean that the, he would be uh, capital punishment for such a thing. So in other words, it was a very fun, integral part of the service. Uh, and the verse says, the reason is that it, it specifically, we should hear the Kohen Gadol moving around. That's literally what the verse says. So that it's interesting. Be, so here comes the Kohen Gadol during the service, during the year, not on, not on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, he didn't have the bells. So the, so the Kohen Gadol is in, is in Kaidash, is in the base of And every, everywhere he turns, he makes a turn to the right, he makes a turn to the left, there's noise. Yeah. So that means the whole day, as long as the Kohen Gadol was serving in the base of the whole day there was a, a kind of noise, a kind of sound from the bells. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. That's interesting you mentioned that because um, we know that the Kohen Gadol had, had, had the four garments that a typical priest has. And in addition, he had another four. And like Rabbi Yossi was mentioning, um, on, on, the, on the Yom Kippur uh, service, many times in many parts of the service, specifically when he would go into the inner sanctum, which he only did once a year on Yom Kippur, he would not wear those four extra garments. He would only wear the garments of a, of a simple Kohen. So he kind of wore both. He wore, and it talks about if you ever follow along with the Machser on Yom Kippur, it goes through detail his whole service. Uh, he had to go to the mikveh between, between every time he changed the garments. But there's times in the services where he wears the four garments when he goes into the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, and the and rest of the service in the main sanctuary, he wears all eight garments. Yes, absolutely. But it, obviously, whenever he's wearing the, the garment with the bells, you can imagine just imagine, just imagine, right. uh, imagine bells on the bottom of a garment. It's 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 clinging, you know. Right. So the question the Rebbe asks in Ois Gimel, at first glance, it seems that when you go to the palace of the king, you go to the base of there should be a certain humility. It should be quiet. You're standing in front of God. You're standing in front of the Ebishter. You shouldn't have all this noise. So what's the significance? Why did the Kohen Gadol wear at the bottom of his, of his coat, of, at the bottom of his robe, why did he wear these bells? What was, what, what's the purpose of noise in the, it, during the service in the Beis Amigdash where it should really be like Shemayin Asrei? Uh, yeah. When you're doing the Amida, when you're davening, at the yeah. highest point of davening, it's quiet. Yes, that, that's a great question. And, and actually, I just want to, before I address that question, we talk about it and open up this talk. This talk of the Rebbe is just an unbelievable, incredible sikha. Now, this is just the Rebbe's uh, view and the Rebbe's, like we say in the uh, uh, yeshiva terminology, derech alimut, or his way of study, or his unique way of how he taught Torah. Um, in this talk, you actually see it in its full re representation or full expression. And it opens up basically with a debate, like, I met, like we mentioned in the beginning, a debate between the Ramban and Rashi as to what was happening what did it even look like on the bottom of this meal? What did these bells look like? What did these pomegranates look like? And the Ramban comes and asks on Rashi, and he says like this, that according to Rashi's interpretation, that the pomegranates did not have the bell inside of it. So that means that really the pomegranates had no utility, right? They were just, they weren't, they weren't a bell, right? We understand the bells have to ring because it was part of the service, the bell's ringing, but the pomegranates didn't have a bell inside of it, according to Rashi. So it comes along the Ramban and he says, that if it's only for decorated purposes, in other words, it's not for a, a part of the service of making of some sort of sound. It's just literally as it, it's the your minim, the pomegranates are decoration. So on that, he asks a very interesting question. And he says, if it's just for decorated purposes, first of all, he says, why are they hollow? Because Rashi mentioned that they're hollow. They're hollow. Why are they hollow? They let them be full. It's a decoration. Number two, he says, why are they made? Why are the pomegranates? Let them be apples, golden apples. He says. If it's for decoration, to be golden apples. That's his question. And, and the question is, why and we ask on the Ramban is, which, which is the, the Mizrahi, which defends Rashi in this instance. He says, what does the Ramban mean that, that if it's for decorate, decorated purposes, it should be apples? And he says, why are apples better than pomegranates? It's a weak question. The question itself is the answer. In other words, don't sit there and ask me, if according to you, it's for decorations, it should be apples. Why? Why are apples better than pomegranates? That's what he asks. And, and that's kind of how this discussion opens up, that according to Rashi, um, the, the Ramayim were for decorated purposes, and according to Ramban, they were not for decorated purposes. The Ramayim were part of the action going on. They were part of the actual boat. And the Sikha opens up, uh, turning that question back into Rashi, 
why, why does he learn that it's only decoration? Why does he not learn like the Ramban? And also, what's this whole concept of the apples and, and the and the remind him. And we're going to talk about that more at a mystical, even a deeper level. What do apples represent? What do remind him to represent, et cetera. But getting back to your original, your original question, um, which was the general question that the noise, what, what Rabbi Yossi was saying, and this, this is something that Rabbi addresses in the talk as well, is that seemingly in the service of God, there's no place for noise. Service of God, things are supposed to be with, with silence, with a hushed voice. And actually in one of the footnotes over here, it brings down that, for example, when we, we dive in the Shema Esther prayer, Right, we're before God, the, the pinnacle of, of davening, of the prayer service, we, we specifically do not make noise. They're very hushed tones, which is understandable, because when you're in front of God, you, there's no place for ego or, or just expression or feelings of self. You want to be more in elements of humility and quietness. And so what's going on here, now, like you mentioned in the beginning here, anytime the kind of the move, there's noise all over the place. Right. Seemingly there's no pl place for noise in the service of God. That's how the Rebbe opens up to start to start this discussion. Right. So that's in the second um, section here. Um, and what the Rebbe does is he said, he brings down the Ramban actually explains it. And the Ramban says that we mentioned in the beginning, the verse actually tells us why it was making noise. It says literally that it, it, it had to make noise when he, when he was in the Kaidish, so he shouldn't pass away, which shows that it's very integral. Comes the Ramban and he explains why. There's a separate Ramban, by the way. These are two separate. One Ramban was talking about what do these bells look like? And then the, another Ramban is why did we need bells? The Ramban explains, and we bring it down in the third section here, that the bells, the utility of the bells was like to announce someone that's coming to the king. In other words, a person doesn't run into the king's throne room unannounced, uninvited. You have to be announced. You have to be. You have to be introduced. If you run into the king's throne room, you, you're, you probably walk out a head shorter, right? So you have right. to come in announced. You have to come in, you know, um, uh, with preparation. And so that's what that was the utility of the bells. The bells were like announcing the kind of God that is, is is in the in God's inner sanctum. That's what it's like going. What it's like on. it's like going to a, a person's house and not and not knocking on the door or not not calling up before you come to right. uh, to. I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> just showing up. Right. So the Ramban basically explains on a very basic level, it was literally like uh, a messenger for you to introduce you to come into to God's palace, to come into God's uh, to God, come into God's uh, temple, God's part of, you know, where God is represented. And so he literally says he looks at it as a, um, um, uh, a representation or a place where you're um, notifying the king that you're coming. And actually, he says, and we can understand Daniel asked, why is it? based on that interpretation that it's introducing you as you come in, how is it possible then that the Kohen Gadol on the high, holiest day of the year on Yom Kippur, when he went now into the holiest place on earth, into the yeah. inner sanctum, not just to the general temple, but into the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, then he did not wear the bells. So how are you going? How does this, it's counterintuitive. How is it that when you're in the general sanctuary, you need someone to let people know they're coming. But when you go into the God's Holy of Holies, the holiest day you of the year, that he doesn't need someone to announce him. So right. that actually explains that. And he says that, you know, on Yom Kippur, the, the essence of the Jew is revealed. And the essence of the Jew, like we know, it's explained in many different sources. The essence of the Jew is literally like a child to God. Child to God. Now, everyone has to announce themselves before they go into the king's throne. But there's one person that doesn't, or a couple of people that don't. And that's the, the children of the Jew. They come in, they run in, they're, they're, they're a mess, and they come in, they don't need anyone to announce them. They come in, it's very clear who they it's are. It's their home. The prince, the crown prince runs into the throne room unannounced. On, on Yom Kippur, every Jew is a crown prince. And therefore, yeah. it's like his essence is revealed. Therefore, specifically on Yom Kippur, when even he's is going into, even into a holier place, we don't need the bells because now it's very clear who's coming and why he's there. It's, the essence is revealed. So that's very interesting. So that's the Ramban's interpretation. What the point of these bells were. So that's an answer to your to, to the opening question, which was seemingly there's no place for noise in the house of God. So the answer is you're right. Basically the Ramban's approach is you're right. There is no place for noise in the service of God. But these bells weren't really a service. They weren't part of the service. They were kind of an introduction. They were an introduction to the service. They were kind of announcing the Kohen Gadol coming into God's throne room as it were. So that's how he gets around that, that, that uh, issue. The Rebbe comes back around and says that we know that every single element of the Kohen Gadol service was very, very precise. He was representing the whole Jewish people mm. when, in the service that he did in, in the temple. And so to say that these bells, which seem to be very fundamental, like we mentioned, that says literally in the verse, 
that if he doesn't have the bells, then he velayamos, he might have to, um, he was literally liable for capital punishment or for death. So they are very, very important. Um, so so it's, it makes more sense that it must be that these bells were not just an introduction. There must be something more to these bells. And it seems like they were part of the service, particularly like you mentioned, they were involved in every service. Right. Every time he moved his hand, they were, they were making noise. So basically what we're saying is that it doesn't seem that they were just as an intro. They must have been part of the service. And now the question comes back. Well, if they were part of the service, how is noise part of the service? Right. That's where we're holding Right. So we have so we have um, the concept of noise and then we have the concept of silence and um, silence um, seems m- more that there's a deeper relationship between the person and the abish there. Um, you're closer when you're closer to something. There seems to be a certain silence like um, like we know that uh, that uh, teachers it says in it says in that teachers should teach, people should teach in a soft, gentle voice. There is a or uh, the concept of being aware of your presence and understanding that you're in the presence of holiness. So what is this? And, and Rebbe comes back to this in Oizdalad. What is this noise? What's the what's the advantage of noise to the extent that it's on the garment of the Kain Gadol? Yeah. So if you could elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, so that's great. Um, so yeah, so after we just um, established that it's part of the service, like you're saying, how could it be part of the service? As you just quoted all those wonderful quotes and with values that we have of humility and, and, and not making noise, especially in the presence of greatness and how much more so in the presence of God, what could, what, how could this be part of the service? And the Rebbe basically explains that um, it's a very big part of the service. And the reason is because there's two different modes of, of how a Jew engages with God. Um, one is the straight and narrow, like the Avedis, it's called in terminology of Hasidic terminology, the service of, of, the, of the completely righteous. And they're just, they're doing exactly what God wants at all times. And then there's everybody else, which is called, termed in Avedis of Al-Chuva, the Aveda of the penitent, person that's coming back. And that kind of person that's coming, that's coming from a place that wasn't always straight and narrow, his service is very different than the Tzadik. The Tzadik is, is quiet, it's hushed tones, it's benachas nishmoyim. Everything's under, everything's understood. Everything's, let me say, the, the light is in the vessel. It's housed by the vessel. Everything brick by brick, it makes sense. But the Balchuva is not like that. The Balchuva is coming from a place of toxicity. He's coming from a place where he didn't always go the straight and narrow. And he's literally running away. One of the things that's mentioned here is that uh, someone that, someone like similar to someone that's running away from a life-threatening situation. If there's a burning building, a person doesn't walk out of the building, you know, how are you doing? Here's my cup of coffee. He runs out of the building. Sometimes he jumps out of the building. It's loud with a lot of noise. And so therefore it's symbolized, this idea of noise symbolizes the avoid of the the person that's not, that's coming back. And the Rebbe takes it even at a deeper level. This is beautiful. He says, it doesn't have to only literally mean about Shiva, someone that literally sinned, a lot of coming from places <clears throat> sin and he's running away. Even somebody that's, that is, is basically doing the right thing. He is only doing the right thing. You know, maybe he's abandoning Maybe he's abandoning Alpitanda, but he still feels feelings of self, of ego, because we all have an ego. We all have an Efesh Bahamas. So we all have layers and traces of, 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 of ugliness, as it were, of ugliness that we want to run away from, that we're not proud of. And, and such a person, when he's doing his Aveda, it's a, with a little bit of noise. It's not so banachas. It's, he's struggling. He's grappling. He's, 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 he's trying to get away from, from negativity. He's trying to get away from toxicity. He's trying to run away from things that are negative. And that person does make some noise and that's resembled and symbolized in the bells. The bells represented that, that body of Jews, which is actually a lot of people, a lot larger part of the congregation that aren't, that they're actually, their service is with noise. That's where, that's why it's part of it. And the kind of Gundel, because he was a shliach, the messenger of all Jewish people, mm-hmm. he had to represent those people too. And it's so relevant because again, he was representing everybody that if he didn't represent, if he didn't have the bells, then he was almost guilty of, of not being who he's supposed to be. And because if he's not representing every facet and every part of the Jewish people, which include people that make noise, people that are coming from toxic environments and going through inner demons, right? right. He's not doing his shlichus. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. So I want to jump in, in the sugya of, of the Baal Tshuva. So there's a, there's a famous quote, Rav Tavus Shar. There's yeah. an abundance of produce in the power of the ox. 
That means that the ox is a powerful animal and the, and the ox is able to produce an abundance of produce. So in Chassidus, in other Maimarim, many times uh, the Rabbeim say that a, a uh, Balchuva, a returnee to, to Judaism, he's not only coming with the Nefesh kiss with the godly soul, but he's also coming with his Nefesh Bahamas with the animal soul. And the animal, since a person is made of, of, of both, so there's a certain friction. And, and when there's friction, there's noise. Like, for example, if you take a ball and you throw it uh, against the wall, so the ball will go even further. Or when you yell in a valley with mountains, so since there's resistance, the noise will be even louder. Whereas if you just yell out, out outside, there will be nothing, no resistance. So Balchuv is coming with resistance. He's coming with his Nefesh Bahamas, and there's noise. The Nefesh Bahamas, the animal soul, wants to remain an animal wants to remain in its own organ or organism, but a but but the person is sort of having this resistance, and there's and there's noise, and when there is noise, so now the nefesh Bahamas is coming with his animal soul, and he's serving God. The animal is getting excited about Yiddishkeit, excited about God. So now there is a there is a big advantage of the balchuva compared to the tzaddik because the tzaddik there's no friction, there's no resistance. It's just the godly soul. Absolutely, um, and just just to point a little another little you know example of that, we see the sun shining, um, and it's hot. The sun is the sun; it's radiating all these rays of, of sunlight. But the sun hits the cement. That cement gets is hotter than all the than the rays that were going till that point. And that's the idea of that when it when it bounces up against friction, that actually is even hotter. And seemingly you'll say it's farther. What do you mean? The cement's all the way on the bottom. Why is it hotter over there? The reason it's hotter is because it's going up against um, resistance. And sometimes you get the full gamut of something specifically when there is resistance. And that's the depth. So there's two, it kind of seems like there's two elements that come out of Balchimba. Number one, he's overcoming the challenge, right? He's overcoming challenge. And number two, he's gaining that now he's put into the service also, the Nefesh like you mentioned, the Rave right. You now have an animal, an animal which has a lot of power to it, helping, aiding you um, in your service to Hashem. It says, You're supposed to serve God with all your heart, with both your Yetzirs. You should even serve God with your Nefesh because there's a very big um, quality that comes out um, when you have that added effort and power that the animal souls that has that the, not necessarily does a God the soul have. So you're enlisting now the animal soul into your service of God, aside from the fact that you're strengthening your godly soul because it has to overpower a, a foe. So two huge benefits come out of that, absolutely. And, and this is all happening with struggle because like, and when it's struck with struggle comes noise. And like, I don't know if you mentioned earlier, but the Baal Shem Tov brings down that right. someone asked him, why do Chassidim sway when they dive in? You know, why they, what's with the swaying? And he said, the example given is someone that's drowning. Right. Someone that's drowning isn't calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> They're screaming and yelling and waving their hands. And that's a yid that's davening. The reason, because we're, 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 we're running away, we're, we're struggling, we're grappling. We're trying to deal with our inner, with our inner issues and elevate ourselves and unlock our potential to, to connect and connect to God. And it's so, literally, he says that somebody likes, that's like drowning and that's similar to this idea of the bells, the noise. Right. The, 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 the Baal Shem Tev also says that you don't make fun of someone that's drowning um, right. and he's screaming and he's making noise. On the contrary, it's part of the effort to be saved. It's part of the avoida. And that's and that's the, the uh, emphasis that the Rebbe is making here about noise, that there is an avoida. There's a service There's a godly, amazing, beautiful service of the Ebishter with noise. The message of noise is not a, a negative one but it actually is a positive message of someone that has some sort of resistance and he is overcoming that resistance. So it noises the overcoming yeah. of the resistance. Absolutely. Overcoming the, the challenge, overcoming right. the challenge. And so the noise represents the Abayda of the Baal and, and that's the beautiful interpretation of Rashi that, 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 the bells, according to Rashi, the bells were part of the service. They weren't just an introduction. They were part of the service because the bells represent those facet of Jews that their Judaism is, is comes with noise because it comes with struggle. And right. so it is part of the service. Yeah. And, and then the rabbi continues and it says that's not, a, that's not a contradiction 
to this that it says, right? Mm-hmm. So the question was built on this concept, on this verse from the prophets. So it says, right? It says, not with thunder. You won't get, is God? God is not found in thunder, but in a still hushed voice. So the Rebbe says, unbelievably, but seemingly, how are you making noise? If God's not found in thunder, God's not found in noise. So how are you making noise? How is noise part of the service? But Rebbe says, the deal there is, Hashem, Havaya, the higher name of God. As we know, Chizidic philosophy explains that there's various names of God, and they each represent a different uh, facet or level within God. And Yudke Bavke is the God that transcends nature, that transcends any type of um, limitation, which is beyond worlds, right? So Leber Hashem, when we're talking about the level of God, which is beyond the worlds, there you cannot get connected to God and that, with noise. There, noise doesn't belong. There belongs, there the service, the mode of service, the mode of conduct is hush voice tones. But when you're dealing with Shem Kim, Shem Kim is the lower world. Like we says, the, the world, for example, our physical world was created with Shem Kim. Kim as a Shemayim Vesa'aretz, because Elikim connotes nature, connotes being within this world, connotes limitation. When you're within this world and, and, and within that realm, you're connecting to Hashem, there, there is a place for, for, for noise, as we mentioned. The person that's within the world and grappling with those things, that does make noise. So the deal is labor Hashem. So that's also connects to the fact that, like, for example, it doesn't really say this in the Sikha, but you see most of davening is with noise, right? If you right. go to any temple, it's noise, it's loud. There's only one part that we that's very hushed. Because most of davening you're doing with the person, right? What are you supposed to, what are you doing during Sukhadism? You're supposed to be arousing the Nefesh of Bahamas, right? You're supposed to be channeling even your animalistic element to serving Hashem. And it comes from an esrei. That's a vibe. That's 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 where you reach the higher level, which is beyond transcendent level, which is beyond the world. And there, it's takahash. So there is a place for this, and there is a place for that. So the higher realms belongs with the hush. The service should be with a hushed voice more. And when we're dealing more with anything that has to do, do essentially with our uh, animal soul as well, then there will be elements of of noise, and that's and that's actually uh, encouraged. Like the story of the right. of the person that's drowning, you know. I, I want to jump in and talk about the Kohen Gadol for a moment, just going back sure. to the Kohen Gadol, and then we'll continue. Um, so here's the Kohen Gadol. The whole year he's he has these bells, and there's these sounds and noise in the in the in the Beis Hamikdash. But the purpose is is that the Kohen Gadol represents, which you mentioned, he represents all type Jews, every single type of Yid. And his responsibility, it's amazing how the Rebbe often in Sichas talks about the underdog, always constantly addressing different angles of the underdog, the Jew that may be far, the Jew that uh, may may not be so connected and uh, spiritual. Even that person is super connected on the highest level to who? To the Kayin Gadol. The Kayin Gadol is wearing on his garments, he's wearing all type people. It's connected. It's sewed into his garment. All type people. And the noise represents how the Kohen Gadol is, is, is focusing, addressing, connecting constantly to every single type of Jew. Absolutely. And this is something that you see very much, uh, very often in the Rebbe's approach in the Rebbe's table. That specifically, <clears throat> specifically that, first of all, every Jew Every Jew is not whole without having, without, if, if another Jew um, doesn't have a Yiddish guy. This is something actually I mentioned a lot. Um, it's, it's, I never saw it mentioned in Sikha so much, but I, 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 it's a mission, it's, it's a brief idea, but we'll bring out this concept. We, if you ever went to a synagogue, typical Orthodox synagogue, you'll notice that at the end of Friday night services, the Chazan makes Kiddush. There's many temples, many shuls, they make Kiddush. And people hear Kiddush, and yet people go back home and they make Kiddush again. Now, Kiddush is a, is a biblical commandment. It's, it's expressing a biblical commandment that we're supposed to sanctify Shabbos when it comes in. And the sages explain that, explain it to me, and that we should sanctify it with a, how do we sanctify it? With a glass of wine. Seemingly, that person in Shul already discharged his obligation by hearing Shul, uh, Kiddush in Shul. How can he go back and make the mitzvah again and make Kiddush for his wife? It's almost like a brachal of Atal. He's wasting, he's saying God's name in vain. He already discharged his commandment. And so the explanation is, if you open up any Mishnahis and Brachas or whatever, there's two types of Brachas. There's Brachas Anenen and Brachas Amitzvah. 
is you take things that you take pleasure for in this world. Anything you take pleasure for in this world, you have to take a bracha. An apple, a scent, a smell, that's why you make the bracha by Abdullah. Anything you take pleasure, you make a bracha. Right? That's called birchas anan. It's also called birchas mitzvahs. We make a bracha on a mitzvah. So we make a bracha before we light uh, Hanukkah candles. We make a bracha on Kiddush. We make a bracha. We make brachas before, uh, before you shake the wolf. We make a birchas mitzvahs, right? Now, the, the rule of thumb is that you can't make a bracha unless the bracha connects to you, right? You, for example, you cannot make a bracha on an apple for somebody else. Right. What you can do is make a bracha on an apple for yourself and include someone into your bracha. So you can swipe someone into your, but you can't just make it for them. Because you're not, you're not found in that bracha. It's not for you. It's for them, right? And you have to have representation in the blessing you're making. So you can never make berchus and just for somebody else. But when it comes to mitzvahs, suddenly you are allowed to make a bracha for somebody else. In this example, the guy already heard Kiddush Yishol. Why is he allowed to go home now and make a bracha? It's only for his wife. Seemingly, it's a bracha in vain. He already discharged the mitzvah. So the Mishnah says an unbelievable thing. The Mishnah says, no, this is, this is revealed parts of the Torah. This isn't some Hasidic thing. This is the Mishnah. This is everything. It says, call Yisrael There's a principle called every Jew is responsible for another. Mm. And so when, when you're making Kiddush for your wife, why are you allowed to make Kiddush for your wife? Seemingly, you already discharged your obligation. And, you, and now you're making a bracha just for somebody else. You can't make a bracha just for somebody else. The answer is no. You're not just making it for somebody else because you're responsible for them. So when you're making the bracha for your wife, you're actually also making it for yourself. That means a little part of yourself doesn't have Kiddush till your wife has Kiddush. This is wow. a little part of yourself doesn't have kiddush till your wife makes kiddush. So when you're making, you're not just just making it for her. You're also making a little bit for you. And this is something that we see all over the Rebbe and especially in all these different components, that if we don't look out for our fellow, then we're lacking. Our Yiddish guy is lacking. It's not just like, we're a Yiddish so we have to make sure that's that too. But we don't have a Yiddish guy if the next guy doesn't have a Yiddish. We don't have a complete Yiddish guy if the next guy doesn't have a Yiddish guy. Here we see it actually on full display. The kind of couldn't do his service without those bells. Those bells were an integral part of his service because if those yidin are not included in his, in his service, then he's lacking something very, very fundamental. Wow, beautiful. So let's jump back into the the Kain Gadol, the bottom of, uh, hey. of the... Yeah. So um, he's he goes into the Knisil Kaidesh. So Knisil Kaidesh going into the, the Beis Amigdash, the, the service is with noise. Yep. So when he goes, when he goes into the into the um, when he goes into the into the sanctuary, the service is with noise because, as we mentioned, a big part of he's representing all the Jewish people, and we also want to. He also needs to include the Jewish people that are that are making noise. Now, let's get back to our original question. What was the original question of the sicha? Based essentially, there's a debate between the Ramban and Rashi. The Ramban seems to think that there is no place for noise in the actual service. That's debate number one. Right. And, and, and point number two he makes is that if, if indeed they, these, 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 these uh, remind him, these pomegranates were just for decorative purpose, they should have been apples. So what, what's happening? Our question was, what, what is this? What, what do apples represent? What do pomegranates represent? Why does Ramban choose that apples should be the decoration if it's a decoration? Whereas Rashi sticks to his guns and say it's a decoration. It could be a decoration, still only be reminded him. What's going on over here? So the Rashi, so the Rebbe basically explains that, that again, these Jews that were on the bottom of the mill. So another part of the Sikha, the Rebbe explains that we talk about the bottom of the mill. The reason why these bells are on the bottom, because they also, they represent the Jews that are on a very, on a lower level. That's why they're right. on the bottom of the two. Fringe. On the bottom of the garment, the fringe of the garment. Because again, they, these are Jews that are at the bottom. That's why they're making noise. These are people that are running away from, from certain things, from certain negative things. So on the bottom of the mill, the bottom of the garment. Now, Rashi basically, the difference between the Ramban and Rashi in their in their what they're trying to do with their explanations. So we know from their intros, Rashi is there for a five-year-old child. He is there to explain the verse on a very literal level. He only came to explain the simple explanation of the verse. If you ever open a, 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 a literal translation of the Torah, you literally will not understand what's going on. You know those those books that literally just have. It's very difficult to understand what's happening. Rashi is saying, I'm going to let you get through the text on a very basic level. The Ramban openly says that his interpretation is not just for the basic level, but it's even for a more mystical, deeper interpretation. So they're really, they do, they have different goals and what they're trying to do with their interpretation or their explanation on, on the Chumash, on, on, on the verses. So the Rebbe therefore says that according to Rashi, um, 
these, the, um, when we're talking about the Jewish people, these people that are making noise, right? We're talking about the bells of the Jewish people that are at the bottom, that are on the bottom of the tunic. They are represented in a rimoin, uh, in, in a in a in a in a pomegranate. According to Ramban, which he looks, he goes a little deeper. He would even he would say that such Jews should should be represented in an apple. What's the difference between an apple and a pomegranate? So we know that J Jewish people are compared sometimes to pomegranates, and they're sometimes compared to apples. When they're on a very high level, and a godly level, like a like a very devout high level, then they're compared to apples. It's brought down to various sources, Kabbalistic sources, also Hasidic sources, that when we're on a very godly level, we're compared to apples. When we're when the Jewish people are on a lower level, on a very a, a more level that has to do with you know again grappling with different with with struggle, the struggling level, then then they're represented, and we have clear Maimar Chazal that they're represented in the pomegranate. Rashi. That is literally because he's the symbol of inspiration. So that means he, when he looks at such Jews, when he wants to represent the Jews uh, that are on the bottom of the mill, he looks at them literally. How you see them, right? How you see them on a literal level, they're remind them. Pomegranates, right? They are they're pomegranates. They have coming from challenge, um, and that's literally what it is. His his purpose is to explain the literal text, and he's going to explain them in a literal level. So those Jews are pomegranates, right? Like it says, how do we know what's the mind result? The mind result is. That 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 it says kapela harimein rikaseh that like like a eyebrow a split of an eyebrow what's the question split of an eyebrow is your is that the Talmud translates rikaseh means your rikonim shabach your empty the empty ones right so kapela harimein a pomegranate is like your empty ones and the Talmud continues to say. Not only are the empty ones, but even Peshe Yisrael. Peshe Yisrael, even the sinners of Israel are compared to a pomegranate. Because even the sinners of Israel have mitzvahs like a pomegranate. So Rimoin means the Jew on the lower level. Again, apple represents the higher level. So Rashi, when he's talking about these Jews on the bottom of the mill, he says, okay, they're reminded. He's willing to say they are represented in Rimoin. The Ramban, which looks at things on a more mystical, deeper level, he says that even such Jews, you can't look at them uh, how they look on the outside. On the outside, you're right. They're going through various struggles, whatever it is. But on the inside, every yid has a neshama, we know. Every yid has a soul, which is always whole. And at that inside level, then it's a, it's a golden apple. And so if you're going to represent those Jews, why choose the external shell and the literal shell that they have? Let's dig a little deeper, like the Ramban's approach. Again, right. how they view, how they learn that they should be represented better in an apple. And that, that's that debate right there, right? So right. Rashi looks at it is on the more literal, so it's represented in, in a remain, and, and the Ramban looks at it as, as, as an apple. And so that's that idea there as well. Now, the Rebbe, this is like an unbelievable sikha because what the Rebbe does as he continues is he says, so on the on external level, the way it looks is, you got Rashi, which is literal. So he's talking about these Jews, the bells that are making noise. On right. a literal level, they're represented in remain. The Raman is, is arguing and saying that they let them be represented in Tapuach, into something. Let's, let's look at their deeper level. Let's look at their deeper. I understand they have a, a right. remain part, but let's look at their deeper level. But the Rebbe actually, as he continues, he says, and this is something that he doesn't, he doesn't actually call this Yena Shalter and Rashi, but he is doing that here. And he actually says that not only is Rashi looking at it on the literal level because Rashi's literal, he's Shulmikra, and therefore you have to only look at the literal, which on a literal level, these people are comparable to reminding. But actually, there's even, like we know from Rashi, there's the literal parts of Rashi, but within Rashi itself, you have the craziest depth called Yenish right. Shalteir. The Yenish Shalteir of Rashi, which Rebbe many times in many Sikhas Rashi Sikhas, that ever brings out the Yenish Shalteir. Here he says, basically, not only does Rashi choose to represent these Jews and remind them because he's literal, and therefore he has to look at them the way they look literally, but actually there's a, the, big, the, big, the zenith, or the highest level that a Jew can reach, is, is this level of, of, of the reminder, uh. of, of, of the noise. Right. And actually, they're not just, I'm not just choosing to, to express them in Rimei because of the deficiency, but I'm choosing to, to express them in Rimei because of the, the, of the high level they have of the, the level of Balchul. And the Rebbe, it continues over there, uh, as we're above over here, that, that apples or the, the, the way of, of silence and stillness and this derech, the derech or the, the, the way of service to God of the more still hushed approach it seems higher, like the stage of seems like it's a higher level, a higher mode of conduct, actually it has certain deficiencies. 
and maybe you'll see, maybe you'll see you want to go, go elaborate on that. To attach the deficiencies of, of them being limited, right? right? It's very composed. It's very, like we say in Chassidus Eiris Mekelem, the lights in the vessels. It's very, you know, rested, restful, right. you know, say there by Dadaga, brick by brick, moving along the straight and narrow. It's very composed, but that itself has a deficiency because that, that connotes limitation. Whereas right. the Baal Shuva that's flinging his arms and he's in, he's drowning like the Baal Shemza, the, the example of the Baal Shemza, he may have that deficiency of not having that orderly conduct and that seder and that, you know, that, that, that hush tone and that isyashmas where everything belongs where it should, but he has that, but he has that because, precisely because he doesn't have that, he has the added element of beautiful, beyond right. the limitation. He's not limited. He's not in a box. He's beyond the limitation. So, so the Rebbe basically says the Rima is a mile. The Rima is right. not the Rima on the outside looks special, you all the Rima, and the Rabban is looking at a deeper level, Stapuach. No, the truth is, on, 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 on an even deeper, deeper level, there's a mile in that rash, in that noise, in that in that element, which is beyond limitation. And I think that's the Chiddush in the, in this Sicha, the novelty, where the, what the Rebbe is bringing out is he's, he's in a way he's flipping the whole script. He said the Rebbe is saying, okay, until now you know, curled, there's a there's a curled mamadaka. There's the silent. There's the tzaddik. He's he's the good guy, the, and and the and the, the bad cop is the is the one the, the Russia or the one who struggles animal soul. And we brought them. We brought out the advantage until this point. We brought the advantage. We said that there is. We need to have them in the base amigdash. We need to have all type of Jews. There is a there is a. It shows on something positive. Here, the Rebbe in Zion, the Rebbe is saying even more. Not only do we need them involved. Do we need all type people involved, but there's a specific when you when it's pers- when you're looking at the person, there's something going on in the person, in the in the person with noise in the in the non tzaddik the non perfect person. There's something infinite about what's going on. There's something because the because he's ba- breaking boundaries, he's actually growing and becoming something greater than himself. The tzaddik is already there. It's like it's like in Chassidus we say there is the light that comes from darkness is even more potent. For example, if you walk into a room and you and and it's and it's dark, you turn on the light. The light is is a very strong, very bright light. So the the so the advantage here of the bal tshuva is not only that that there is something positive of his service, but on the contrary, there's something greater go in the totality of his service. There's something even greater than the tzaddik. Because he's completely breaking boundaries, where the tzaddik is going one step at a time and is connected, but it doesn't have that noise. So noise is actually a sign of infinite connection to gods. And and then the Rebbe also quotes over there, um, and it's also brought down in the footnotes here, that this is that one of the explanations where why of why it says that the place where a balchiva stands, even a tzaddik gomer can send. even a complete tzaddik cannot. Is not on the same level as the Balchuvah. And the reason is, for, is this that the, the, the Tzaddik is, yes, he's going to say the Radraga and he has Eris Bekelem, he has everything composed, but he doesn't have this bleakful element. And the, the Balchuvah is coming from a place, the opposite, from, from a negative place. He's running to God. The example given is like, give a glass of water to somebody that's living in the city. It doesn't mean it much to him, but give a right. glass of water to somebody that's been traveling two weeks in a desert. How precious. How unbelievable is that water? We can't even fathom. Well, well, we do have a little bit. I mean, the first glass of water after Yom Kippur, you know. Right. You can't compare that to the glass of water on a Tuesday afternoon in the middle of Cheshvan. And that's what about Shuvah has. He's, he's excited. We see this many times. He's excited with his Yiddish guy. He's doing it with passion. He's doing it with, there is a bleakable element in his Yiddish guy. It's just beyond, it's shattering all um, uh, limitations. And so it's not just like, it's not just, that these people, like you're saying, that these people also need representation. Right. But that these, and without them, the kind of um, isn't complete. Right. That at a certain level, these people have a, an advantage. They have an advantage. And that's why his avayda isn't complete. Not because we also need them, but without them, we don't, we're missing something very integral. Not just because we're missing somebody, but we're missing like the, the key player now. Yeah. So, so it, it's very fundamental. And that's a big flip on its head. Absolutely. That's a very uh, different way of looking at the world and looking at people going through just human human life and, and the potential that a person has to reinvent himself and how you wind up on a higher level when you actually do that reinventing, even low, higher than the person that just was, everything was making sense the whole time.
So I, I just want to end <clears throat> with the with the ches uh, ches, where the Rebbe and and I, I want you to give some insight here. The Rebbe talks about before Mashiach comes. Actually, um, I, I, perhaps the quote "When in Rome, do like in Rome," yeah. is is found in this in this sicha. The Rebbe quotes the Gemara about Rome and the noise. And, and the rash and the intensity. And we have to, and in Yiddishkeit, we must match up to the intensity. Yeah. So if, if yeah. you could elaborate a little bit on that about Miftoyim, also mitzvah tanks. Uh, yeah. the, and, and as we started in the beginning of the Sikha, we spoke about public menorah lightings, the yeah. idea to go out, go out into the streets. Um, if you could just elaborate a little bit on that. So the Rebbe actually says, so ISIS is like the last ice of this, or second to last, last two ISIS, test and test. The Rebbe basically says that there is um, this, a specific instruction from this whole sikha to our generation. And that is, the Rebbe says, there's people that understand that in our generation, the last generation before Mashiach, the, we're the bottom of the tunic, we're Bishuli Hamil. It's understandable that we can't suffice with our own Yiddishkeit and that we also have to go out and bring others that don't have a Yiddishkeit, bring them close and give them the opportunity to experience their Judaism. That we, people understand that, but they don't understand when they sometimes question is why does it have to do with, why does it have to be done with such noise? Why does it have to be done so publicly? Right. And like Justin mentioned, I, I haven't had a chance to look at the original text, but I remember when I learned this many, many years ago, I think in the original text of the Sikha, the unedited part, I think that ever does mention mitzvah tanks. And he says that people want to understand why he's walking down Fifth Avenue and he hears, because mitzvah tanks always come with noise or signs. It's like a big deal. I know I do it every year Hanukkah in downtown Seattle. They're, everyone's wondering what's going on. They love it. But it's interesting. Like, why is it to be done with such noise? Why can't you just, you know, slowly, quietly bring people close? Make a little blog post. You know, people that are interested, you have a website for, you know, information desk to let them know things. Why do we have to go with such a shturim? The question people could ask. And the Rebbe says that basically we are now in history. In history, or in the time of history that we're, we are now is at the bottom of the tunic. And it's right before Mashiach. And, and that, that generation and our generation, we need noise. We ha things have to be done with noise. Things have to be done with inspiration, with passion. You can't just limp into that part of this. You have to do it with, 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 with a passion, with an excitement, with specifically with noise. That's the only way that we're going to be able to elevate that, that part of the generation. And then I would continue to another point is, like you mentioned, that all the negative forces, they do, they do everything on high display. They have their outdoor concerts and their noise and their everything. And we and, and in order for us to refine and, and elevate that last part, that, that, that part of the world that where the outside the of the world, we also have to, Yiddish God has to be brought there too. We can't just say we're draw the line here, we're not gonna bring we're, we're, that's their domain, this is our domain. We have to bring and we have to play with the same never quotes from a Maimar Chazal that the handle of the axe, the same wood that chops the, the tree, is taken from the tree. And now it's wood is used to chop the chop the tree. So in order to elevate those forces, we have to play with their game. We have to use their same game plan. The same, they're done, the same way they're, those elements are done publicly and loud, now we have to bring Yiddishkeit publicly and loud. And when we do that, those bells will jingle, and that will be the last sound. But it says that, it concludes and says, well, the last sound will be the sound of the very loud shafer. You talk up a shafer, God will blow the big shafer, and that will usher in the coming of Mashiach. Because this is the last vestige of what we have to do to put put our our world into the you know into the final phase of in, into the Mashiach times is doing this last element on the bottom of the mail on the last in the last generation that noise where we gather together those last sparks that are even in the outside elements. Beautiful. And that's the public menorah lighting and that's the mitzvah tanks and that's the noise and the gusto and the excitement of how we bring even Judaism to the outside. So it, um, what, what I love about the Sikha and as well as Bichlal, when the Rebbe, when we see, when we look at Miftoyim, or we look at, let's say, Mitzvah uh, Neshek or Mezuzah or um, Tefillin, every, every Miftoyim, every uh, mission that the Rebbe wanted from us to go out there and do, everything came from Taira. So there's a story I heard from Rebbe Waiwai that uh, the, the Rebbe, um, how, did the Re how did the Rebbe, sure that he needed glasses mm -hmm. so um he mentioned to rabbi groner that he he can't see the small letters having a hard time seeing the small letters in the gemara in other words glasses to have a discussion about glasses it's a question of taita 
I, I, what do I need glasses for? I need glasses for Taira. The same thing goes with all of the Miftayim. Here we have a Sicha. The end of the Sicha, the Rebbe connects it to publicizing Taira Mitzvahs, going out there on the street. But where does it all come from? It all comes from a beautiful Pilpul and Chiddush and a Rashi and a Ramban and analyzing our Pipnimis Inyanim, quoting Gemaris and, and building this whole beautiful masterpiece. And, for, and, and at the end, we have a, a specific mission statement for our generation, but it's all saturated with Taira Alpi Nigla Taira Alpi Pnimia with resources from all over. And I, and I, I really connect this Sicha, how we see that the Rebbe, every single detail was completely from Taira. Absolutely. You can't, listen, you see it all over the Rebbe's Taira, but the, the combination of genius, um, little Taira Chidushim, and Taira, this the, the Derech limit of the Rebbe here, of how he takes the Rashi and then he, he explains that the Rashi was learning his view because he's He's a simple interpretation. The Rambam is the deeper, you know, more mystical. And then he turns it around and says that within Rashi itself is actually it is the deeper because there's Yiddish. Right. All these elements is so rich. And then to bring it home like that with a not just a little lesson, but like a fundamental um, worldview lesson of, and, and not only just a worldview in general, but a worldview of how this is kind of our roadmap to really end this gullus type of lesson. Is, is this? It is a phenomenal masterpiece. Absolutely, and it's a rich. And we didn't even get into, obviously, it's not, it's, you know, this is not the context of this podcast. We didn't get into the footnotes and the richness that comes out of the, that detail as well. Um, but this is just an unbelievable expression of the Rebbe's Torah, which never existed in the history of the world. Um, such a, such a Derech HaLimit and such, uh, such a type of Torah. So thank you, Rabbi Shmuley, for joining, for bringing on the Sicha, for bringing on here. What a beautiful episode. And hopefully we'll have you again very soon. Wonderful and a lot of success with this podcast. This is an incredible podcast and you should only continue from strength to strength and only good things. Amen. Amen.